0: Welcome. Greetings from Elfie's World. This is a place where we try to bring you a little fun, pique your interest, and maybe, maybe even give you an opportunity to learn a thing or two about history. I'm so glad you decided to join us today. My name is Elfie Wolfram, and I hope you enjoy our presentation. Today, we'll be presenting another program from our collection of stories entitled, Elfie's Amazing But True Tales. Now, these are true stories, which have often either been, well, maybe totally overlooked, or sometimes not given quite the attention they deserve by the uh, gurus of history. We'll, uh, well, We'll leave it to you to decide why they've sometimes been neglected in the annals of time. This is program number one in our weekly series, and it is entitled, Turning the Tide of War. So, kick back, relax, and enjoy. The spring of 1863 was a dark time for President Abraham Lincoln and the forces of the Union Armies they had lost battle after battle to the Confederate forces of the South. The most recent loss of General Fighting Joe Hooker was due to his hesitation in giving aggressive military orders, which proved to be especially humiliating in defeat. Because of his inaction, the Southern troops, once more under the command of General Robert E. Lee, were able to once again snatch victory from the jaws of defeat. It would become known as the Battle of Chancellorsville. With this win over General Hooker at Chancellorsville, General Robert E. Lee and the Southern troops were even more emboldened than ever. Everyone knew General Lee and his troops were on the march north. What was not known was Lee's exact location, how many men he had, and what direction he was headed. It was feared Washington, D.C. itself may be their next target. Someone. Someone had to travel into Virginia and find out much-needed information about General Lee, his troops, and their intentions. There was only one man for this assignment. Charlie. Though still in his twenties, Charlie had lived a most interesting life. His family had emigrated from Saxony when he was only three years old. Having grown up on a farm just outside of Baltimore, his education was quite limited. By the age of ten, he was forced to quit school and work alongside his father and mother in the fields on their farm. Though there was considerable slavery in Maryland, it was predominantly on large plantations in the southern part of the state. (laughs) Remarkably, though Charlie had hardly ever seen a slave, by sheer coincidence, At the age of nineteen, he found himself employed as the overseer for almost one hundred field slaves on a plantation in Prince George County, just outside of Washington, D.C. Though the money was good, almost from the beginning, Charlie realized he had made a terrible mistake taking a job overseeing slaves. So, before dawn one day, while everyone else was still asleep, Charlie slipped away from his job as overseer and plantation life forever. From that point on, he would become a confirmed abolitionist. For the next several years, Charlie moved around the country, honing his skills as a carpenter. Finally, in 1860, he found himself in Washington, D.C. With the coming of the Civil War, this was the ideal location for a young man with a hatred of slavery. With each passing day, his commitment to do something to fight the evils of slavery grew stronger. Before long, Charlie was approached with a most unique offer. Soon after the firing on Fort Sumter by Confederate troops and the start of the Civil War, he was recruited to be a spy for Union forces. Though he had just gotten married to a, a most attractive young 16-year-old gal named Clara, daughter of a local prominent minister, Charlie leaped at the opportunity. Because he had worked as a slave overseer in southern Maryland and also had many friends in Virginia, even after the outbreak of the war, it was easy for him to travel throughout Maryland and Virginia, often going behind enemy lines completely undetected. Now, in the early years of the war, Charlie's assignments were eh, rather vague and undramatic. Usually he was sent down into the South with general instructions to merely see what overall information he could acquire. Often he would take along small quantities of goods which were in short supply for his friends in the South. One such item was sewing needles, with most manufacturing facilities being located in the north sewing needles were in high demand throughout the south he would discreetly conceal them hidden under the lapels of his coat by the spring of 1863 things had changed dramatically now If the Union was to survive, it was imperative that President Lincoln and Union generals find out as much information as possible about General Robert E. Lee and the Army of Northern Virginia. The rebel armies had already come within 20 miles of Washington and were threatening to surround the nation's capital. Now, during this time, the South was expecting spies to come in to their region from every direction. (laughs) Traveling alone, as Charlie usually did, would have been extremely obvious and dangerous. Though his wife, Clara, usually never made inquiries into any of his previous assignments, with this mission she somehow felt compelled to ask questions. Hearing that he was about to head off on another assignment and fearing greatly for his safety, Clara asked Charlie if he would share his destination with her. Well, breaking with protocol, he told her what little he could. When he informed Clara that he was going into Virginia she came up with a plan that was both simple and audacious. Clara pointed out that a young man traveling alone would stick out like a Yankee at a southern cotillion. And they both knew the immediate consequences of being caught as a suspected spy. Death by firing squad without even the benefit of a trial. Now, she strongly suggested that as a cover, he take her and their one-year-old baby, Little Teddy, along on his foray into Virginia. I mean, after all, what would look more innocent than a man traveling with his wife and young infant in their Surrey? If stopped, they could merely say they were traveling south to visit friends and show off their newest addition to their family. Though at first, Charlie eh, totally rejected the idea outright. As usual, Clara's mind was made up, and she prevailed. And so they packed a few things. While Charlie placed most of their luggage in the back of the Surrey, Clara securely arranged one bag under its seat, and with that, they were off, Charlie behind the reins of the horse, with Clara seated next to him in the Surrey, gently cradling baby Theodore in her arms. About an hour into their travel, they came to one of the main bridges across the Potomac River leading into Virginia. It was there they encountered a Union Army roadblock. Now, having traveled this route frequently, Charlie was recognized by the Union sergeant in charge, and he and his family were waved on through that roadblock. They were about 20 miles across the Potomac River, well into Virginia, when they were stopped by a Confederate Army patrol. After the Confederates dismounted their horses, a rebel sergeant took hold of the bridle of Charlie's horse while he interrogated them. He asked them routine questions such as who they were and where they were going. Now at the same time, a brash young lieutenant stood off on Clara's side of the carriage with a smug, knowing look on his face, one hand menacingly resting on his saber. It appeared as though he knew something was not quite right. Suddenly, before Charlie or Clara could react, that smug lieutenant lunged forward, grabbed the bag that Clara had so neatly tucked under the carriage seat, and ripped it out from its safe confines. In a flash, he tore it open and thrust his arm in up to the elbow, only to discover that it was filled with, with... with... "'Dirty diapers.' (laughs) "'That's right. "'Smelly, gooey, dirty diapers.' "'After a vain attempt to wipe the foul smell off his hands, "'their diaper bag was hastily returned by that startled lieutenant "'who safely tucked it once more under the seat of their carriage.' (laughs) No further comment was made by that embarrassed Confederate officer. Uh, But the Confederate sergeant was quietly grinning from ear to ear as he waved Charlie, Clara, and baby Theodore on their way with all expedient haste. As Charlie had hoped... Information concerning Confederate troops and their movements was easy to obtain by merely listening. Over the next four days, Charlie was able to gather an immense number of facts concerning General Lee, his troops, and their movement. It was almost as if it were common knowledge waiting to be collected. And, As for their return trip home, well, it was a walk in the park for our three adventurers from Washington. But did this harrowing adventure of Charlie, Clara, and Baby Theater make any difference in the war? Did President Lincoln ever hear of their escapade behind enemy lines? Well, when Charlie, Clara, and Baby Theodore finally returned to Washington, Charlie immediately reported to his contact. He related the information concerning Confederate troop movements, but neglected to mention the, well, the incident of the baby diaper bag, feeling it was not of any military significance only a month after the return of Charlie and his family from Virginia, General George G. Meade, commander of the Union forces, was to go into battle against Robert E. Lee and the Army of Northern Virginia, just outside a little town called Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. Now, we will never know for certain what part, if any, that trip which Charlie, Clara, and Baby Theodore took to Virginia may have played in the outcome of that impending battle and ultimately the war. We will only know one thing. In early July of 1863, General Meade would deliver to President Lincoln one of the first major victories the North would experience during the Civil War. It would be the turning point in that war. During this time, Clara worked making hats for some of the most prominent ladies in Washington, D.C., at a local hat shop named Miss Lucy's Hats. Interestingly, a few days after their return, while Clara was working at Miss Lucy's, of all people, who should come into the store but Mrs. Mary Todd Lincoln, the wife of the President of the United States? Now, Clara had made hats for Mrs. Lincoln in the past and knew her quite well. Without mentioning any of the military details of the mission, Clara immediately related to Mrs. Lincoln the story of the Confederate roadblock and the baby diaper bag. That evening, after dinner, Mrs. Lincoln apparently related the story to President Lincoln. It was said that upon hearing the story of the Confederate lieutenant and the diaper bag, the president was reported to have slapped his thigh, gave out a laugh you could have heard across the Potomac, and said, well, I'll be damned. That's the first time during this entire war that a Yankee's been able to crap on a Confederate. <laughs> uh, I'm not certain that the president used the word crap, but it is nice to know that a baby's dirty diapers lifted the spirits of the President of the United States during his hour of need. Yes, yes. This indeed seems to be a most improbable tale. However, there are two reasons why I am certain this story is true. First, in the spirit of full disclosure, I should point out that Charlie's last name was Wolfram. (laughs) That's right. Charlie Wolfram was my great-grandfather. As a child, my own grandfather told me this story of his oldest brother many times and of that Confederate patrol and the bag of dirty diapers. Also, in 1952, when I was a mere lad of ten years old, my grandfather took me to Iowa to attend the 90th birthday party of that same Reverend Theodore Wolfram. During the celebration, Reverend Wolfram, a.k.a. Baby Theodore, personally told this story, which I still have recorded on tape. So, there you have it the dramatic tale of how a bag of dirty diapers may have helped to win the war for President Lincoln and the Union cause. What more can be said except here is a saga of the Civil War that can only be described as amazing and, oh, true. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us today. This has been program number one, Turning the Tide of War, in our weekly series entitled, Elfie's Amazing But True Tales. Now, each week, we will be presenting for your enjoyment and edification a brand new audio story from our collection of amazing but true tales from history. Now, some of these stories come from our book entitled, Elfie's Amazing But True Tales of American History and More. As a listener to this program, you are entitled to purchase autographed copies of our original book, Elfie's Amazing But True Tales of American History and More, at half the publisher's list price of $13.95 or a mere $7 per book, and that includes shipping and handling For more information, merely go to Elfysworld.com. That's A-L-F-Y-S-W-O-R-L-D, Elfysworld.com. And then click on Elfie the Writer for more information. And now, I would like to thank the following for helping to make this program possible. First, Garrett Wolfram, our technical producer and supervisor. The late Irene Wolfram, principal editor and provider of Sage Council. Expert Publishing, for their help in editing and publishing our book. Lucas Ganza Anna Wals, for the Parlor Guitar Magic Set. Joe Payne, for the Trumpet Fanfare. Herbert Boland for his Piano Mood Happy Four. And finally, the thousands of readers who have supported our efforts from the beginning. Now, if you would like to hear previous episodes of Elfie's Amazing But True Tales, please go to elfiesworld.com. That's A-L-F-Y-S-W-O-R-L-D. Elfiesworld.com, and then click on Elfie the Podcast and select the desired program by name or number. Once again, thank you so very much for joining us. We hope that you will be with us again next week for another exciting adventure of Elfie's Amazing But True Tales. And until next time, remember, not only can reading and studying of history be fun and exciting, but also by studying the past, we can sometimes get an insight into our future. This is Elfie Wolfram reminding you to stay well and stay safe.